Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Saturday mornings at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few of the issues of the day. But again, this is your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly, to ask your questions, to voice your concerns. Whatever's on your mind, you can speak with the Premier one-on-one. Just keep it short and keep it respectful. We've got a full slate of uh, phone calls already. Uh, I will get to the texts as well. Uh, Still getting signed on uh, myself for that one. All right, Premier Danielle Smith ready and waiting to take your calls or texts. The numbers are 403-974-8255 in Calgary. In Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Premier Smith, welcome to the show. Well, I thank you, Wayne. Nice to talk to you again. And happy Easter. Happy Easter to you. Now, in just over seven weeks, Albertans will be heading to the polls. The writ will be dropped May 1st. That means a a four-week campaign. But as is usual in Alberta politics, the unofficial campaigning is is already underway. Now, as in previous shows, I have some questions I hope to get to. Maybe our listeners will address some of those as well, along with their own issues and questions. Now, here's what I have. The UCP now has three more candidates after they were appointed by you, meaning your party is now one short of a full slate. I I think there's a joke in there somewhere, but I won't go. Uh, The NDP is down nine, but leader Rachel Notley says her party intends to run a full slate, but does not intend to appoint candidates. A new poll suggests a majority of Albertans are opposed to having a provincial police force. There is increasing frustration because of the long waits for blood work at uh, community labs after DynaLife took over last year. Uh, The government's committed $40 million to helping Albertans access food banks and transit. And at a time when vacancy rates are plunging and rent is rising, some affordable housing units at Calgary Housing are sitting empty because of provincial red tape. Now, before I get started, the Art Pulaski thing. Are we done with it? Well... I don't know. I mean, the uh, my opponents keep on raising it. I mean, I, I understand the concern that people have. Um, obviously, um, Mr. Pulaski holds some very extreme views that I de- disagree with completely. Uh, when we talked, I thought we were talking in the context of him being a political party leader because he was at the time the head of the Independence Party. And it turned into a discussion about what I was doing with COVID amnesty. And I've been very clear about what I was trying to do with COVID amnesty. I campaigned on it. I said I would look into ways in which we might be able to address the non-violent, non-firearms-related, non-contempt of court-related charges. And I circled back with my justice ministry, told me the same thing that I'd heard in the brief. There had been uh, no changes in the court cases we were waiting for, and we were waiting the outcome of them. We're still waiting the outcome of them, actually. And so there's still a couple of court cases that need to be decided, and that's where I've left it. I mean, the, the attorney general has the uh, has the sole authority to make the decision on how to proceed with these cases, and I'm... I, uh, and I respect that. So I've taken his advice, and that's where we that's where we have it. All right. Now, uh, let's start off with the appointment of UCP candidates. Last week, it was Rajan Sani, and this week, the party has appointed Cheryl Seaborn, former president of the local UCP Constituency Association in Lethbridge West. Ron Weeb takes the reins in Grand Prairie Wapiti after the resignation of Travis Taves. And Joseph Angeles will run in Edmonton South after Tunde Obasan announced his resignation last weekend. Now, 
if the NDP can go through the nomination process, why can't your party? Well, I if you look at where the uh, the NDP have to elect candidates, they're in areas where I, I highly doubt that there'll be very many contested candidates, like Drayton Valley, Devon, where I think we won by over 70% of the vote, and various other ridings like that. So if you if you have an acclamation, yeah, it's very easy <laughs> to run an open sure. nomination. Um, virtually all of our candidacies have been, uh, especially, uh, I mean, we've got a number of acclamations that took place because of incumbents running again. We've got 48 incumbents running again. But I think every other one has has been a contested nomination. And the way our party works is we have a very rigorous vetting process. People have seen that. Not everybody is able to get through because we have to make sure that uh, nobody is going to say anything that's going to sink the whole team. When you get into politics, it is a team sport, and you have to make sure that that uh, the views that are expressed are, are going to be ones that everybody feels comfortable running on. So we have a very extensive vetting process, and we also have um, a, a long process that takes about five weeks from beginning to end for us to be able to do a full, fully contested nomination. And as you pointed out, we are yeah, only, th- but we're only three weeks away from election of uh, from from the from the, di- from the writ dropping. Yes. So when I had to do an assessment of could we get ad- additional uh, candidates in in place in that time, I, I determined we could not. I mean, I know in the previous election, we uh, the the party went in and didn't even have a full slate of candidates in the first week of the campaign. It puts you behind the, the eight ball there because you're trying to figure out how to uh, get your, your signs and your campaign office and your um, and your brochures out. And I just didn't want to be in that position. We wanted to have a full slate of candidates ready to go by the middle of the month. Um, it's unfortunate that uh, we ended up having candidates uh, withdraw, and that's one of the things that we have to do. But I have to tell you as well, the process I went through, I borrowed from what I'd heard about how Doug Ford managed this. Because Doug Ford, I don't think had uh, contested nominations when he put his slate in place, but he consulted the local board, got suggestions about who they would like to see as their candidate, vetted them, and then and then had a, had a motion. And I did the same thing. I, I talked to the local uh, riding presidents. I talked to adjacent candidates. I talked to um, some prominent people in the community and got their suggestions. I introduced them to the board, and I asked for a motion accepting my nomination. And in all cases, uh, the, the motion was accepted. So I still took a grassroots and consultative process. I hope people are uh, are happy with that. No one, no one loves having appointments. In our party, we are limited in having me only be able to appoint four candidates. I've now appointed four. We're getting into the into the election campaign though now, and so I'm hoping I'm hopeful that that uh, we won't have to address this with any other vacancies but we're we're going to be ready to go april 13th is uh, our last candidate in place in edmonton highlands norwood and we'll be hitting the ground running we already are all right grand prairie is going to have its own police force we touched on this last week but since then a leger poll says most albertans are not in favor of having a provincial police force uh, as a matter of fact there was a report done a couple of years ago said it would be much more expensive to do that so just to clarify we talked about it last week what is the UCP position? You know what I think most people want? Most people want a local police force because most people <clears throat> in the province have a local police force. Calgary Police Service is a local police force. Edmonton Police Service, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, now Grand Prairie, Camrose, uh, Tabor. I think that there's a, a couple of others that I might be missing. The only large 
uh, cities that don't have their own police force are Red Deer and Fort McMurray. So what I'm observing is that cities are making their own decisions to develop their own municipal policing or their own regional policing. And we are doing whatever we can to support that. So we have offered grants to any municipality that wants to explore expanding their own police service, adopting a regional service, or even having a sheriff's detachment. And I think there's 15 um, municipalities that have taken us up on that offer. So we want it to be grassroots-led, municipally-led. If municipal, um, if, munici- if municipalities want to have a, a police service of their own that they control, that they oversee, that, the, that their commission directs, then we're going to help facilitate that. All right. Uh, we're, we got time for one call here before we go to a break. Uh, Bill is calling in from Edmonton. So go ahead, Bill. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yeah, I just wanted to ask the Premier if she's had the chance to listen to some of the testimony at the National Citizens Inquiry. Preston Manning has helped organize it. It's really good. You know, it turns out there's so much the government, uh, the federal government especially, has told us it just hasn't been true about COVID. So, so what do you think, Premier? You know, I, Bill, I haven't, but I should. So let me let me put that on my list of, of things to look into tomorrow. I have a little bit of a down day tomorrow, so I'll, I'll I'll read some of the testimony there. But thanks for for putting it on my radar. I'm I'm pretty pleased that that we've got Preston Manning taking a look at our legislation, and he's going to going to be giving us some recommendations about how we might approach a future pandemic differently, so that we can we can have that better balance of not only protecting people, but also ensuring that we don't have some of the long term harm that we're now witnessing and experiencing with mental health and isolation and the addiction crisis. So I, I think he, I'm, we're going to get some, some good recommendations out of that. So thanks for reminding me to, to take a look at that. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith and more of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province. Your Premier heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout this province. In Edmonton on 630 Chad and here in Calgary on QR Calgary. Your opportunity to be heard by Premier Danielle Smith. Let's hit right to the phones. Uh, because we are in the unofficial campaign, uh, we're going to talk to Robert who has some questions about voting machines. Go ahead, Robert. You're on the air with Premier Danielle Smith. Uh, good morning, Wayne and Premier Danielle Smith. Uh, I have a quick message and a question for you, Premier. Um, my message to the listeners in Albertans is to uh, be smart, vote UCP in this upcoming election. Get out and vote UP, UCP uh, for continuing to move Alberta forward and not in reverse and backwards. And, and your question, Robert? And my question, Danielle, is how can you give insurances to Albertans that this will be a fair, honest and transparent election with no meddling from the federal liberals or any rigging of our election with these electronic voting devices. Well, I think uh, here's what I would say is that I, I think we need to understand what these voting devices are. My my understanding is that the, the way these these advanced polls work is they want people to be able to go anywhere and be able to get a printed off ballot. So you print off your ballot and then a Scantron machine tabulates the ballot and we always have a paper backup in the event that there needs to be a a recount. I think people are maybe confusing that type of approach with what they've read about in the United States where the voting machine is actually a voting machine and you, you press who you're voting for electronically and there isn't a paper record other than the receipt that you get. I don't know. We don't use Dominion voting machines here. So that's my understanding of how they work. That's not what we have. You have a paper ballot. It gets run through the machine. 
We retain all the paper ballots in the event that there needs to be a recount. And um, on on the date, and that's just for the advance polls, and they're doing it to make it convenient for anybody to vote in any station. A lot of people are voting at advance ballots, uh, advance polls these days. The uh, if you vote the day of, it's a hand it's a hand count, it's a paper ballot hand count. So anybody who is concerned at all about the uh, the Scantron machines, they can vote on, on election day if they want to have that extra level of confidence. But I've spoken with um, my chief of staff about it to look into. I've spoken with uh, my deputy minister, Ray, uh, Ray Gilmore, to look into it. And both of them have assured me that that's the way it's going to be, is that the, the Scantron machines will be used, paper ballots will be retained in the event there needs to be a recount, and every ballot on election day will be hand-counted. So I hope that that satisfies your concerns, because it sure satisfies mine. Okay, uh, Don calling in from Edmonton with a China-Alberta question. Go ahead, Don. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi, Danielle, Premier Smith. Um, so I was listening to the Rob Breckenridge show before... I don't know if you get a chance to listen, but he was talking about uh, the people that brought forth the uh, the ideal that uh, China's been interfering in our election system at, all the way down th- through the levels. Um, they could be forced to uh, face criminal charges and the people that reported it. Now, why is it these people have to step forward and risk their lives or their possibly their future in order to uh, protect us from uh, Chinese interference? Like, we know that China is the number one importer uh, of uh, fentanyl into Canada. We know that the, the virus occurred from there. And basically, all these things are destroying our country. And yet, we're still running with this narrative. And why didn't the Liberals slash NDP bring this up from our Secret Service that they were being briefed on? Like, like what is going on? It's just... And the other day... You talked about the NDP, how they bought us $88 billion in debt. I'd heard the number was $99 billion from CBC, but that's another story. Um, the electricity rates will be my last question. I'll cut it short. But um, the, so the electricity rates have skyrocketed. We had two coal-fired plants that had just been refurbished. We spent billions of dollars. That's about $2 billion. Um, somebody just complained the other day they're cutting up a $120 million drag line that had been replaced for salvage. But the thing is, the chickens are coming home to roost. We had the best technology in Alberta developed right here in Fort Saskatchewan beside Edmonton, and we could have made those coal-fired plants more efficient in emissions than the natural gas ones. And that technology has now gone to the states. But you have to look at the perspective. If we're really trying to save the, the globe under the World Economic Forum, Communist Party of Canada, BlackRock, or whoever they want to call themselves, 1,500% or sorry, 1,500 power plants produce 70% of the emissions worldwide. We'd have been better off developing that technology right here in Alberta and exporting it to the world so we can actually reduce the amount of greenhouse emissions. Don, I've got to I've got to cut you off. Okay. You're uh, you've got a lot of Go stuff ahead. there. <laughs> Thanks very much. Well, yeah. Don Don is absolutely right. The NDP wrecked our electricity system, and I'm working really hard to try to repair the damage. Uh, they 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 proposed a phase out of coal that was way too fast. We we should have had a a slow retirement of those uh, facilities so that we could maintain baseload. 
Um, or we should have been able to do exactly as Don says, is that we should have done the carbon capture utilization and storage like they have with the Boundary Dam project in, in Saskatchewan and be able to abate all of those emissions. We, there were other options, and instead the NDP chose to phase them out early. I've been told that it probably cost us as much as $4 billion, and guess where that money went? It went on you, the ratepayer. You've ended up having to pay higher electricity rates so that we could do an early phase-out of those coal plants. That was an NDP decision. The other NDP decision was to start massively building out intermittent power, wind and solar. And every time you build out intermittent power, you have to build three times as much, which means three times as many transmission lines, because when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, it doesn't work. So you need to have a a ton of backup. And so if you look at the cost of your power bill, and you see that line for distribution and transmission charge, that's the reason, is because we now have 5,000 megawatts of installed solar and wind on the system, and when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining, it gets down to as low as 100 megawatts of additional power. And so then we have to crank up our natural gas to be able to, to provide a backup. So we're building out two systems, so you're paying twice. You're paying for baseload power that's there when the wind and solar aren't. You're paying for extra transmission lines built out three times as much as we need because it's intermittent and unreliable. And they phased out coal early. All of that has added into your electricity bills. And now, as you, and Don's totally right, the chickens have now come home to roost. And I'm working very hard with, uh, with Matt Jones, our affordability and utilities minister, so that we can develop an approach where we have reliability on our grid, where we have affordability of our grid. Those are the two most important things. And I, I know it got painful this this fall. Remember, I inherited a lot of problems that were created by previous governments. Uh, I didn't have time to fix all of them because I, I only got a, a elected and in the legislature on November 29th. But we, we did what we could to defray the worst of the cost escalation over the course of this winter. There's so much more to do. It's why we need to, to get four more years because we're going to fix it. On the topic of generation, uh, world's first carbon capture facility is being built in Edmonton. This is uh, Heidelberg Materials in North America, and it says, uh, article I've read, facility is expected to capture more than a million tons of CO2 annually. And Ottawa says that's like taking 300,000 cars off Canada's roads every year. So... Hopefully that's going to help. And we are world leaders on carbon capture. And we and, be, and part of the reason for that is that we captured CO2 and then we used it for enhanced oil recovery. So we know how to do this. Uh, the, the issue now is how do we turn it into more useful products? I was just down actually at uh, GF, um, RCF Industries in, in my riding and they capture CO2 and they use it for... Um, for for its food quality, so they use it for carbonized um, drinks and and various other uses like that. There's another another one in my riding. Uh, it's called Can Carb, where they develop carbon black out of uh, out of out of cracking methane emissions. I think that's going going to be very exciting to like to see name. more things like that. I know yeah. totally. <laughs> and and the other part too is we've got all of this great pore space. It's, I think we are we are all, I think we're second in the world. I think only Russia has an equivalent. Of amount of pore space and so we are going to be able to capture it and bury it underground until we find other useful uh, purposes for this product so i'm pretty excited about about those kinds of proposals and, and we are going to be world leaders in it
All right. Uh, Robert has texted in uh, saying uh, Premier Kenny abandoned many provincial parks. If municipalities did not take them over, many were sold. Will you, the province, support provincial parks? 100%. And and here's the thing I would say. What, one of the things that I did is I separated out protected lands, which are under environment, and Sonia Savage is our minister, from Forestry, Parks and Tourism, which is under under Todd Lowen. And I, I just saw an analysis a couple of days ago after he announced something like, I think he's announced $221 million that we're investing in improving our campground facilities, building new campgrounds, building more park space, building more trails. That's what people want. People want to know that we are protecting those lands, which are uh, sensitive habitat. We're going to do that. But there are lots of areas of the province that we can open up so that people can enjoy our outdoor spaces. I, I had been told that we, by Dave Rodney, who was the, the former uh, tourism parks uh, uh, minister. He said we hadn't built campgrounds in 20 years. Is it any wonder that there's too much pressure on Kananaskis? And so maybe the the initial approach of trying to put those in municipal hands. I think that's what uh, what, what what the intention was. Is that perhaps those who were closer to the ground managing those those parks would have been um, a more would have ensured that they that they were managed better but uh, it didn't work out people didn't want it so that's fine we'll take matters into our own hands and we'll make sure that we invest in it so people can use them i'm pretty excited about what todd's doing there all right keith is phoning in from troshu with a landowner's lease question go ahead keith you're on with premier danielle smith yeah uh, hello i'm just wondering if the ucp is worried about the next election with a handful of writings that the oil companies aren't paying their surface leases and your government has done nothing about it. I've phoned in a couple times. I've been in touch with our with our local member and nothing ever gets done. If the, if the NDP manages to connect with the landowners in these handful of writings, it might adversely affect the, uh, the outcome of this election, which I hope not. But on the other hand, you're sitting there doing nothing about it. Is, is there anything on the horizon for the landowners and these delinquent companies? And I'm not talking about Orphan Wells. Don't bring that program into it. No, no, I know exactly. viable no. companies I totally that will not pay their obligations under contracts that they've signed in this province. Yeah, I totally know exactly what you're talking about. We, we took the first step because this frustrates me too. It, it, it gives a black eye to the industry when you've got a couple of bad actors that don't pay their municipal taxes and don't pay their landowner leases. So we took the first step in saying that we will not do any well site transfers and no one can can uh, acquire a new well if they are out of compliance on their municipal taxes. Now, it's creating a little bit of work internally because it means that all of our municipalities have to forward to our municipal affairs minister the outstanding amount of taxes so that we can provide that list to the Alberta energy regulators. So that's one step. But municipal affairs also has uh, the authority over the, the, the land tribunal. And so that would be the second step is that we have to develop an internal process so that landowners are able to let us know either through judgment from the from the land tribunal or some other mechanism so that we know who is in arrears so that we can have the same policy no well site transfers and no new well acquisition if you haven't got your landowner leases fully in compliance so we're doing it in a two-step process 
I regret that um, the work hadn't been done on it on it earlier. I think the problem really just emerged in the in the last few years as we ended up with such a devastating downturn, or such a devastating recession. But now we're back, and as Rebecca Schultz said, it's you know it's time to pay up. So we're working on it. I'll, uh, I'll I have it on my list um, to see if we could. I, we're, we're sort of run out of time. As I mentioned, I only got elected in in November. We only had two legislative sessions. We we got the first piece done, but we are highly motivated to to get that second piece done because it's, it's just not acceptable. If you want to develop the resources in the province, you got to pay your bills. All right. We've got uh, a phone call, a text message on health, and that will tie into one of my questions on health. So we'll start off with a text. Uh, this one comes from Cowtown Bob. He says, I tend to agree with you that the government doesn't need to cover the full cost of a doctor visit. I'm presuming that he's uh, referencing those NDP ads as our government should promote self-reliance among the people. What steps are you going to promote to give Albertans a stronger sense of self-reliance? They would never get this from the NDP. And again, that's from Cowtown Bob. Well, let me tell Cowtown Bob, I disagree with him that no one should ever pay out of pocket for a doctor's visit or for a hospital or surgical visit. It it shouldn't surprise you that the NDP is making assertions that simply aren't true. So no one will ever pay for a doctor visit or a surgical visit or a hospital visit in this province. Under the Canada Health Act, that's one of the agreements that we have with the federal government is that we will fully fund those things. The uh, We, in fact, have gone further. When I, when I met with federal officials, they were really surprised that we had taken off the user fees on um, on addiction treatment beds. Most other provinces charged, and the NDP charged forty dollars a day when they uh, when they were in power on addiction treatment beds. We removed that charge because we know that mental health and addiction is an essential part of the healthcare system. And if we don't treat those as essential services, then it's going to end up causing people to get to a point where they may have to be hospitalized. So we want to address it at the front end. But the the approach I do want to take is that I want to cover more services and make it more comprehensive. That's what a health spending account is all about. Politicians have them. Uh, it's $950 that politicians have. So taxpayers are paying for politicians to be able to get acupuncture and chiropractic and their eye exams and glasses. And I feel if you're going to be ha- asking taxpayers to pay for that for politicians, why wouldn't we make those same kind of accounts available to everyone? That's the approach that I'm going to take. I know it's been mischaracterized, but I, I hope I can, uh, I'll do whatever I can to, to keep on telling people exactly what it is that we're planning on doing. We want to make the system more comprehensive so people have the money to be able to pay for all of the preventative things that we know are not are not currently covered. All right, now to that phone call on health care. This is from Neil in Edmonton. Go on, uh, Neil. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning. Hi, Neil. Uh, I'm a senior citizen, and, I, and I've, I've, got, I've got vertigo uh, since last June, and I've been going to visit uh, various doctors and, and physio, which I can't afford to go anymore because physio costs you uh, 150 bucks a, a visit. I've got over a thousand dollars in that, and nothing, nothing is changing. I still have vertigo, and now I get a letter from uh, from a doctor saying that I have an appointment with him on March twenty fourth, two thousand twenty four. Now that's a year ago, a year, a year to go yet, and uh, nobody's getting. I'm not getting any help from our medical system dealing with vertigo, and like I say, I'm not insured, so if the physio costs you a fortune. And I just wonder what the what the conservatives are going to do to to help people, seniors like myself who. Uh, just have no recourse here. Oh, Neil, you. you're you're so right on this. Um, I and in fact, I was talking with Dr. John Cowell about it just this past week, official administrator uh, administrator for Alberta Health Services. And part of the reason we were talking about this, I'll I'll answer it in two parts. Is 
we have made such great progress in identifying the uh, those who are on our waiting list for longer than medically recommended. So that's once you've gotten in to see a specialist, you're put on the list. We have to make sure that we clear that backlog. If a, if a surgeon says you got to get a knee or a hip replacement, or you've got to get shoulder or back surgery, we, we've got to make sure it's done in a medically recommended period of time. So we reduce that backlog from 39,000 down to 32,000. We have increased our surgical capacity in all of our public facilities as as well as the Charter Surgical Center. So we're now able to do 6,000 to 6,500 a week. Uh, Dr. John tells me that he thinks we'll be able to clear that waiting list by by this time next year, maybe even sooner than that. So that is job one, and we are well on our way. He said the next thing he has to turn his attention to is exactly what Neil mentioned, is that the time between getting assessed by your primary care practitioner and seeing a specialist is way too long. We're hearing that there are waits, I had thought as long as seven months, but now Neil is telling me that we're looking at, uh, in his case, if it's March next year, that's 11 months. And that's unacceptable. And part of it is that we need a more efficient booking system so that when you go in and see your doctor, they say, hey, you need to see a specialist for Vertico. Here's 10 different specialists who have an opening so that we can match people better with the openings that are there. That's, that is the next step. And because Dr. John has made such progress on EMS, on reducing hospital wait times, on addressing the surgical backlog, this is his top focus. This is the next thing he's working on. All right. Now to my question, health related. <clears throat> The transition from Alberta Precision Laboratories to DynaLife Medical Labs has driven up wait times. A lot of complaints about this. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, though, uh, AHS made that contract before you took over as leader, but now it's your mess to clean up, so to speak. So what's being done? Uh, another thing that I talked to Dr. John Gowell about this week, it, it's, it is unacceptable. I mean, when, when people are waiting months. Five weeks or more. Month, yeah. yeah, up to two months for a, a visit. I, I, I had even just recently heard a story of somebody who had an appointment and went in at their appointed time and they still had to wait two and a half hours because there were 41 people in, in the room. The, if you're going to have a contract with us, you have to be able to perform. Bottom line. And that is the so conversation. can you revisit that contract? That is, can it that, be canceled? That is the conversation that's going on with DynaLife right now is you have to perform. And so we, uh, so I know that uh, both Jason Jason uh, uh, Copping, our health minister, as well as Dr. John Cowell, have been spending a lot of time on this in the, in the last week. They have met with DynaLife executives and they've put it to them that we want to see a, a performance improvement. There, I understand that when you do transition, sometimes there's new systems that need to be put in place. There are glitches, but the it's really important that you get the the diagnosis because when you get the diagnosis because you've got the tests that's when you can get into to get treatment if you sure, get those delays it just adds to the delay it yeah. just adds to the delay so yes i i accept that it's not it's not working as so intended so is there going to be a a deadline you have to meet x amount of performance by such and such a date or 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 your contract you know what over. i'd I'd have to talk with the health minister on that, uh, but they they know that uh, this, this was the, the meeting this, that they had this this past week, that there's performance requirements in that contract, and we're going to expect them to live up to those performance requirements. So I'll, you know what, we've got a couple more weeks on the air together, so I will keep on giving updates week after week, and hopefully we'll be able to see improvement within the within very short order. All right. Marianne is phoning in from Calgary. Uh, union question. Go ahead, Marianne. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi, Premier. Thanks for taking my call. Um, when um, Rachel Notley was our Premier, um, it, it came to light that her husband, who is in, in an executive position with CUPE, 
uh, was using government resources and government staff to do uh, some of QP's work. Now, at the time, to me, that seemed like a tremendous conflict of interest, but her husband never did resign. And I know that when you entered politics, you had said that your husband um, left his position with the son just because of the perceived conflict of interest. And I know you do speak sometimes with, um, with Rachel Notley. And have you ever asked her that if, uh, first of all, why previously her husband didn't resign his QP position, and also if she were to become Premier, how soon would he resign his position from QP and distance himself from unions? Because really, if you're sleeping with somebody um, who's in a position like that, you absolutely there is going to be a conflict of interest and you cannot effectively be a premier when you have that kind of a barrier you know i i uh, would leave that to to them as a couple to sort out i i share your concern um i think it was addressed by the ethics commissioner and i think um they said that there was no conflict but what i will i'm glad you pointed it out because anytime you see negative ads chances are it's QP that's doing them and you're telling me that uh, the NDP and QP are not collaborating on their uh, on their attack ads. I uh, I highly I, I'm I'm highly suspicious. And the reason that matters is because you're not you're not allowed to do that. I'm not quite sure we were supposed to have rules in place where you had a firewall between uh, unions and political parties. And uh, the way the NDP worked, not only when you buy a membership in the NDP party are you automatically a membership of the federal NDP. So every single decision being made by Jagmeet Singh is, uh, is, is part and parcel of the Alberta NDP. And, and so the Liberal NDP coalition in Ottawa, that's why we talk about it, is because it's, they're, they're integrated. But the other thing that's interesting about the NDP, the way they operate, is union bosses are embedded in their executive structure. Can you imagine... If any other political party had corporate mucky mucks embedded in their political structure, making the decision on who the leader is and what the policy is, it's crazy. Uh, so you've got this really convoluted structure where you've got all of them integrated, federal and provincial. You've got unions embedded into the NDP and you've got unions doing attack ads on me. So I'm uh, I'm surprised that, that nobody's investigated that because that does seem to me that it cuts pretty close to violating the Elections Act. All right. Text message... Uh, good morning, Premier Smith. You campaigned on gun ownership and as of yet, still haven't heard what you were doing about Bill C-21. An email to your office has gone without reply. My husband died. I want his property to transfer to me. And the federal government says, I can't. I'm presuming guns. Uh, what is your government going to do about this? Also, I agree with having our own police service instead of the RCMP in Airdrie. Thank you. Uh, well, you should talk to your, your uh, mayor of Airdrie and, and ask him if they want to establish a municipal police force and what he's doing on that. Because, as I said, we are we are very supportive of, of any municipality wanting to take the lead on that. We've also just passed in the, in the spring session the Firearms Act, which firmly establishes our chief firearms officer, Dr. Terry Bryant, as the person who is going to be overseeing the administration of the Firearms Act. So it took a little time to do that. Uh, but my, what I would suggest to you is contact the office of the chief fires, firearms officer here in Alberta and see if she can help you out because I, we, we've made it so that 
it is easier for Albertans to be able to not only get a new firearms license, but also transfer firearms, um, firearms as, as well as deal with the issue that you're dealing with. So, so please contact the office and circle back with me next week and let me know if, um, if, it's, if it's been successful. But we changed the law precisely for this reason so that we had more control. All right, quick question before we head to break. Uh, this is from, uh, looks like Chris in Edmonton. Will there be a debate? I'm presuming for the uh, election. We're in the process right now. It's been proposed. You know how the um, the, the different stations do a consortium. And so I, th- I think this one is being led by Globals, which uh, uh, is is your sister company. But these, but CTV and the other broadcasters are involved in it. And they're just, uh, they're just pinning down a date and time. And it looks like it's just going to be one-on-one. I'm not sure um, if that's the first time that's happened because there aren't any other parties represented in the legislature. And so it'll just be uh, wamano a wamano. All right. <laughs> We're going to take a break. We'll come back with Premier Danielle Smith and we'll wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson, back with you on Your Province, Your Premier, your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. If you've got a specific question you'd like the Premier to answer, you know the numbers, 974-8255 in Calgary. That's a 403 at the beginning of it, 780-496-0063. All right, we've got uh, another healthcare phone call. We've got a uh, text message. Uh, we'll hit the text message first. Red Deer Regional Hospital serves the largest population in Alberta. What possible reason is there for expansion being pushed back to 2030? We need more facilities now and have needed for the last 20 years. Well, a couple things I'd say. Um, When the NDP got elected, they took it off their priority list. And it does take a long period of time to do the design, the development, the construction. Uh, I think the Cancer Center, for instance, took 10 or 12 years. And so by moving it off the list when they were in government, it ended up delaying all of that. Uh, then, of course, we were when when you think about it now, we have just recovered from the NDP recession. When when you look at the number of jobs that we have today, there was a, a, a tweet last week that showed that we are finally now just now at the at the at a higher level of jobs than we had uh, when the NDP were in were in charge. And we ended up with a massive loss of jobs, one hundred and eighty three thousand. So we finally just recovered. And that and that's part of the problem is that we uh, we inherited a government that had 80 billion dollars worth of debt, a structural deficit. And we we had to, t- to tighten the belt for the first couple of years. And so I'm so pleased that uh, Travis Taves, our finance minister, was able to turn that around. We've done a major reinvestment, not only in priority areas that we knew that uh, had to take a bit of a haircut during those terribly lean years. But our capital plan, I think, is about $8 billion, just under $8 billion this year. And going forward over the next couple of years, we want to maintain that stability. The uh, Red Deer Regional Hospital has been allocated funding so that we can do all of that design work and uh, do the, the site work and start getting rolling on it. And so uh, we're, we're pretty excited. We're, we're, hot, we're 100% committed to making sure that project happens. It's a shame that the NDP removed it from the list because we'd be much further ahead now. And we just had to um, to, to uh, accelerate it once we got elected. And 2030 is still the, the target deadline. Again, it's, I would love to, I would love to, if, uh, after this next election, one of the priorities I would have would be to sit down with infrastructure and the infrastructure department at Alberta Health Services and see if there is some way that we can create a design 
to accelerate construction. One of the things I was struck by with the Charter Surgical Center that I that we have contracted with in Edmonton, I may have mentioned this before, Alberta Surgical Centers, they can do up to 8,500 surgeries. Uh, that's what they want to grow to. And they've got a, a really unique design. It's all on one floor. It's, it's uh, very efficient. And it only costs $25 million to build. And they managed to do it in six years. So you think about that. If they can do that in the private sector, why can't we replicate some of that so that we're able to build um, hospitals faster, more compact, able to do more at a lesser price? And so we, we've got to do a full analysis of that because we've got lots of hospitals to build. We've got to build Stollery. We've got to build the Edmonton South Hospital. We've got to build Red Deer Regional. We have a new North Calgary Airdrie Hospital that we need to build. And I don't want people having to, to wait for, uh, for, you know, for, for, for 10 years for all of those to be built. We, 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 I would love to see if there's a way that we would be able to accelerate that. But ran out of time. That's going to be a post-election issue. All right. Speaking of time, uh, we had a text message in uh, on the Ched text line. Good morning. In the last three months, I've had to get tests done at DynaLife in Red Deer. Way better times, usually 20 minutes. So uh, I guess if you're willing to drive to Red Deer for your test, you don't have to wait as long. If All right. I understand it, I think Red Deer and North have been using DynaLife. So I think they've got their systems working in and, the rest of the province. The it's just too. been, it's been, it's been this transition that we've had right. in uh, in Southern Alberta that has not gone smoothly. Yeah. Okay. Linda is calling in from Strathmore with a healthcare question. Go ahead, Linda. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hello, Danielle. Big fan. Decades. Love your intellect. Thank Next. you. November 23rd, 2022, standing. Heard a pop. Ambulance has to come and get me. I'm 58 years old. I'm single. And I had a very established business for over 22 years. They take me in an ambulance. Can't find me a bed anywhere. Ask me to go home two days later. I can't walk. I'm paralyzed from the waist down. I've lost all my functions and say, you might feel better in a week or two. What day is it today? I have been bedridden since that day. No help. My friends come and feed me. My friends bath me. I have no bodily functions. I have paid for all my own medical tests. Because I only got a call a week ago saying, oh, we can now do an MRI for you in June. In June. And I have no assistance. I've drained all my savings and I've lost my business. And the government says, sorry, you're not over 65. Can't help you. That's a terrible story. And that, and you know, there's there's too many stories like that. It's it's why it was such a priority for me to say, you know what, it's not acceptable for us to have a monopoly that we've given to Alberta Health Services and for them to be underperforming. Um, it's it's the reason why myself and Jason Copping and Dr. John Cowell are working so hard to eliminate the backlogs to make sure that when uh, and patients get taken to hospital and ambulances that they're dropped off efficiently, seen efficiently. And that they're treated and able to get in for the care that they need. I, I, I regret that wasn't your experience in November. And I, I'm a ho- perhaps I can get your your contact information from Wayne, and I'll I'll see if uh, if um, if Jason's office can can do a follow up with you to see if there's anything more we can do. I mean, it's it's this is the reason why we we have to make. Uh, fixing healthcare, our number one priority. The the misery that you've gone through over the last number of months, 
it's just not acceptable. I'm sorry that happened to you. All right, we'll go to the uh, text lines. Uh, I'm not sure who this comes in from. It says, I am normally a UCP supporter, but I'm very concerned about what might happen with my Canada pension plan. My spouse has the same concern. Can you speak to this? The, we did a, the UCP did a broad consultation of Albertans and the, when they did the fair, their fair, fair deal um, panel. And one of the, the overwhelming resounding pieces of feedback that we got was that people wanted us to do the analysis on an Alberta pension plan to see if our seniors would be better off and to see if the payroll charges would be lower. And so we commissioned a report. It was completed, I believe, in 2021. And But here we are now in 2023. It wasn't the right time to release it in 2021. You remember, everybody was so focused on dealing with the pandemic crisis at the time. So when I got elected, I, I asked the finance minister where that report was. And I, so I saw preliminary data, which I think look, looks quite promising. But he told me that it would take until May for them to, to do an update. As soon as that report is available, I will release it. And then we will have a broad discussion as Albertans to see whether we want to, to pursue a referendum because that was what was, was also recommended by the Fair Deal panel is that if you make any changes at all, it has to be put to a referendum of the people. It's uh, the people's pension and it's got to be their choice. So we've got a couple more steps and I'm just trying to, to, uh, to, to respect the wishes of Albertans on this. Albertans asked us to study it. We've studied it and we'll release the report when it comes out and it will be up to you to decide. All right, a text message in on the uh, Calgary line. I turned 65 years old. I received seniors' benefits for three months. Premier Kenneth changed the rules, no benefits. Blue Cross, very expensive, limited coverage, $190 a month. $250 allowed every two years for glasses. Dental, I need about $1,200 repair. Blue Cross will only cover $300 a year. Pretty sad. I'm 68 now, and that is from Robert. And he's right. I mean, this is these are the kind of expenses, out-of-pocket expenses, that aren't covered by our publicly funded healthcare system. And it's the reason why I wanted to find a way to expand health spending accounts, which are available to politicians. It's available to our frontline workers. It's just not available to regular everyday Albertans. And so we want to find a way so that we can help defray some of those costs. And I recognize it, it. it's really hard once you get onto a fixed income. All of these additional expenses is part of the reason why we made it a priority to give people $100 per month in the affordability payments to make sure that we had the ability to moderate our electricity and natural gas rates. It's why we still have a gas tax reprieve, even though it's been totally offset by the federal uh, liberal NDP coalition with their carbon tax that's now up to 14 cents. But we eliminated our 13 cents a liter gas tax so that we can make sure that uh, it, it moderated the cost of everything. I know, I, know, I know how hard it is for our seniors. And that's part of the reason why we, we took that me those measures on affordability. If we have to extend them and do more uh, once we get to June, because the, the pressures are still there, then, then we'll certainly have that conversation and do that. Premier Smith, uh, we have run out of time, and you know we still have a full slate of calls. We have text messages coming in on both the Ched and Calgary lines. Uh, people have lots of issues, lots of questions. We'll uh, we'll just have to tell them to to tune in next week, and we'll try to address it then. What Thank the you heck? for joining let's us do today. It. Let's do it next week. Thanks so much, Wayne. All right, I'm Wayne Nelson, and you have been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.